wish you you all could appreciate all the things that are happening behind this phone with that involves scotch tape and all the things. So thank you for hanging in there with us. I can't see the number on there, but a while ago, there were like 70 people on there, and I'm just so amazed that you all hang in there with us through that. And I think it goes to show um, our effort to uh, want to be together and our effort to want to be in community that we even put ourselves through this to get through it. So thank you for hanging in there. It dawned on me that um, <clears throat> all of the sermons that I have preached this sermon, this summer, uh, from our favorite 10 uh, of the last 10 years, um, they so far for me all come from the year 2017. And I wondered, was I just on a roll that year and preached things I really liked? And then it dawned on me that that was the summer that we asked you, what do you want to hear a sermon about? And so I think it's interesting that um, some of my favorite sermons of the last 10 years have come out of trying to respond to questions or ideas that you have had. So thank you for uh, asking for us for this. And at first it seemed like to me that preaching this sermon again, it is entitled, uh, and yet she persisted, Queen Esther. And uh, I thought this felt a tad out of touch with uh, what's going on today. This came out of, as I will tell you in just a second, this came, we had just had the presidential election of 2016. So I will address why um, I waited until 2017 to, to talk about it. And it felt out of touch and then Russ said, you know, it's pretty highly likely that there's going to be a, a female vice president uh, candidate for this election year, so maybe it is timely after all how we think about and talk about women, not about the politics of individuals or Republicans or Democrats, but just how we use our voice and talk about women is very important. So that's, maybe it's more timely than I thought. The text is from Esther, chapter 4, um, and Esther is a book written about this woman's story. Nowhere in the book of Esther is God mentioned, uh, but it is so profoundly important to our faith story. So I'm going to give you the background. I'm not going to read all the verses that I'm using this morning, but it's from Esther 4 verses 1 through 17. <clears throat> so I'm just going to give you a synopsis and then read a couple of verses. The whole story is too R-rated for me to tell you from this pulpit. But here it is. Vashti was the queen, and she no longer wanted to be summoned as the king's property, so she left. Good for her. An intense search went on throughout the land for another queen. Leaving out the tantalizing details, which are many, Esther, a young, beautiful girl, a young, beautiful Jewish girl who had been raised by her uncle Mordecai, was chosen. A young, beautiful Jewish girl who had been raised by her uncle Mordecai. Through a series of events, Mordecai ends up foiling a plot to kill the king, so he was found in high favor. But the king's right-hand man, old wicked Haman is what we like to call him, he had it out for Mordecai and planned to have Mordecai killed. But Haman's hatred was so deep 
that not only did he want Mordecai killed, he wanted all the Jews killed with him. That would have included Queen Esther, though no one knew that she was a Jew. So the text that we're looking at from this story today is where Mordecai learned of the plan to kill all the Jews, and he sends word to his niece, Queen Esther, saying, you got to do something. And she sent a message back saying that sure, it was sure that death would come to her if she went to the king without being summoned. You cannot go to the king unless the king asks you to come. So she knew she would surely die. And this is how Mordecai replies. Do not think that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silence at such a time as this, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another quarter, but you and your family will perish. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to royal dignity for just such a time as this. And the story is that Esther saved them all by summoning the courage. Now Mark had picked out two awesome hymns. One was all about women of the Bible and the women's story in our gospel story. And then he sent me one that is the story of uh, Queen Esther being, and it, we were going to sing the scripture. But, you know, there are things you have to let go. And I've let that go. So, here we go. This is from 2017. I actually, to be clear, preached two sermons on this back to back. And so I'm going to import a little bit from the second sermon into the first sermon uh, to get a compilation of it all. <clears throat> I need to start using Dove products. I really have no idea if they're good for your skin or not, or even if they work or not, but I need to start using Dove. Anything made by Dove I support, and I do so because of their campaigns and ads about women's issues. Have you seen them? They have tapped into something we all need to be talking about, women and body issues. And not just women and body issues, but women's issues. Our most recent presidential election, that would have been in uh, November of 2016, this was preached in August of 2017. Our most recent presidential election gave us plenty to talk about can we all be mature enough for me to bring this up without any of us thinking partisan politics? Let's give it a try. It will take work, but let's try to hear what I'm saying as not about politics of a presidential election. Unfortunately, we either argued about it or refrained from talking about it altogether. So an entire campaign season that lasted forever and in many ways is still going on, bombarded us with lots to talk about concerning women. And yet for the most part, I remained silent. A woman nearly became president of the United States. That is worth talking about from a theological perspective. Like her or hate her, it is worth a conversation about what it means to little girls and young women and to adult women and grandmothers for that matter that a woman, a woman almost became president 
of the United States of America. After almost 100 years of women having the right to vote, a woman almost became president. And we also need to talk about, not in political terms, but in theological terms, what it means to have a president that refers to women in the very crass way that he has and continues to do. He owes the United States, the people of the United States, an apology for the ways that he has talked about women's appearances and women's bodies. It is not okay for anyone to talk that way. Just ask Queen Vashti, the queen before Esther. She said, I'll have none of that. And she left her royal throne. You see, the presidential election of 2016 left us with a lot more to talk about than just politics. What I'm talking about is not politics, it's about women and how women are created in the image of God. It's about how women are loved by God. It's about how women are more than outward appearances. It's about how we talk about women. It's about how we treat women. It's about how we think about women. It's about how we keep silent about women and their issues. I would hope that we are all feminists. It's not a bad word. A feminist is someone who believes in the inherent worth of all women. A feminist believes that a woman can be and should be anything she chooses to be. Feminists have a common goal to define, establish, and achieve political, economic, personal, and social rights for women. I believe that's how God sees us, how God treats us, how God uses us. So I thought that I would preach a series in March about Queen Esther and feminism in light of the conversations out of the November election. I had that idea before the outcome of the election. I wanted to address this after the election, no matter which candidate won. Because it was something I wanted to talk about in turn, it was something I didn't want to talk about in terms of individual candidates, but it felt like that the process handed the church a theological conversation starter simply by who they are and how they acted. The church should speak up, speak out, speak for women in a culture that has historically objectified women. As far as we have come, we are not there yet. But then as March approached, I had a sense that we were not ready for the conversation. The election was in November. I had the idea the summer before. I'm going to wait till March. We got to March and the rhetoric was still too heated and I felt there was no way I could discuss this without it being heard as partisan politics. So I dropped it and I really frankly tried to forget about it. Then one of you requested an Esther sermon during that summer sermon series. Oh, be careful when you ask people what they want to hear about. I want to hear about Queen Esther. Well, they may force you to tackle topics that you had chosen to leave untouched. But that election handed 
the church an opportunity to say something about women, to women, and for women. And I believe in the next few weeks, we will have that opportunity again if a woman is selected as a vice presidential candidate. The truth is, I've been in this place long enough that I forget how lucky I am. And I forget that my story is not most women's stories in the church. I forget being here that women need for me to speak up and speak out. And women aren't the only ones that need to hear me say it. Men and boys need to hear it as well. My sons need it just as much as your daughters need it. We forget around here that in many churches there are no or not nearly enough women in positions of spiritual leadership. In so many cases, people's faith formation is guided only by male representatives of the images of God. We forget that here. And when we forget, we fail to speak up and speak out. Just because I've been a senior pastor for over 16 years at the time, and just because you have been ordaining women as deacons since forever, and you've had a female pastor for 16 years, it's not enough for us to think that we have arrived. Almost having a woman as president is not an indicator that sexism is dead any more than having an African-American present means racism is over. All one needs to do is pay attention to the wage disparity between men and women or notice how women are more sexualized and objectified on TV and in movies and on billboards than men are or have the hospital security guard greet me on the week previous to preaching the, that, me, a 50-plus-year-old woman, hello, young lady. It's patronizing and demeaning, all of it. It is sexism, alive and well, in both overt and subtle ways. Queen Esther was a feminist, it is true. She came to royal power for such a time that she saved her people. And to this day, she is celebrated and revered as a woman of courage and strength and fortitude and savvy and sass. She was so much more than her outward appearance. Though let us not forget the former Queen Vashti, who decided to claim her own feminist ways and say no to being treated as a commodity just for her good looks. She, too, is to be admired for stepping away from a system where only her body and appearance were appreciated. I mentioned those Dove ads. Have you seen them? They're fantastic. They make me want to cry. There's the one with a sketch artist who never sees the woman he's drawing. She just describes herself to him, and he sketches. Then someone else comes in to describe the same woman, he, and he sketches the other person's description of that woman. And then he brings the woman to look at both sketches, the one where she describes herself and the one where another person describes her. The one where she describes herself is harsh and really not attractive at all. The one where another describes her is softer, more beautiful, and way more accurate to how she really looks. The women 
are blown away when they see themselves, when they see how they see themselves and when they see how others see them. Then there's one where women are entering a mall. They don't know that they are being filmed. They're just heading into the building and they have to choose whether to go through the door with the big word above it that says average or whether to go through the door with the big word above it that says beautiful. And they're kind of stuck, not knowing which door to enter. They later interview the women about why they chose which door. It was fascinating how they saw themselves. Then there's the one where a man is sitting in a chair in front of a huge TV screen and he's hooked up to a pulse indicator on his finger and images of beautiful women appear before him and they monitor his heart rate as he watches their beauty fly by. And then, unbeknownst to him, they flash up a picture of his sister or his grandmother or his wife and as he describes her, their beauty, his heart rate increases significantly more than the models that he had just been shown. Whether filling traditional roles of what we think of as women's work, like nurses, teachers, stay-home moms, or whether as a surgeon or firefighter or even a preacher, women can and should be given every opportunity that men have been given to be all that God created us to be. On that, I think we probably likely agree. We live in a time when we probably think we have all arrived about that. We have not. If we had, conferences like Nevertheless She Preached wouldn't be happening across the country. I have, too much to, I have so much to say and too much for a pulpit. I have so many feelings, many of them too vulnerable for the pulpit. I will say that I think a lot of what holds women back has to do with body issues that women face. It comes from within ourselves, yes, I've proven that by what I've shown you about how women see themselves. But those inner feelings are fanned into flame by a culture that still judges, reviews, and evaluates women by their outward appearance more than anything else. I watched a video of a photo shoot for a model. It's another one of the Dove ads I mentioned. They bring in a regular looking woman until the professionals get a hold of her. She was transformed into another kind of beautiful. She was beautiful before, but she was transformed into a different kind of beautiful, a made up beautiful. Now I will tell you, I love makeup. Right before I got into this pulpit, I said, I'm going to put on my high heels and some lipstick. I like that, let me be me, you be you. So I've always loved makeup since I was a little girl. And I'm not going to give it up, but I love Alicia Keys and her no makeup movement. She's on to something. I'll tell you, at Camp Prism, I made quite the impression on the girls on that first night when I went into the bathroom and washed my face and I came back in with no makeup on. Apparently, I could be a before and after ad for Merle Norman. Who knew? But I love makeup. I don't think it makes me more beautiful. I like it. 
I have to work sometimes to see my beauty without it because our culture has taught us how to see ourselves. But what got me about this model's transformation, the regular woman turned model, it wasn't the hair and the makeup. It was what they did to her with the help of computer technology. After she was completely made over by the top artist, then the computer got a hold of her and elongated her neck and raised her cheekbones and reset her eyebrows and thickened her lips. And then they cut to her drop-dead gorgeous face. On a huge billboard across the screen come these words, no wonder our perception of beauty is distorted. And then my heart breaks when I see teenage girls take about 25 pics, checking each one until the exact smile, the exact head tilt, the exact pose that they are comfortable posting to their Instagram is captured. You don't generally see guys doing this. Why? Because we've not taught them to see themselves as ugly, less than, too much, or not enough. I think it breaks my heart when I see girls do that because I know what it feels like. I do it too. It's a terrible thing to take the picture and look at it and take another one from a different angle. It, let's stop doing that, women. Girls, stop doing that. We're setting terrible examples to our young women about our bodies when we do that. It's funny, I preached this three years ago and I told us to stop doing it and I still do it. Let's stop for real this time. Jamie, are you with me? Let's stop for real this time. A good friend of mine is on a campaign to help women and their body issues. And two of her most recent posts are quotes. Here's the first one. Women's body image is a collective issue our society suffers when half the population channels their creative energy into being smaller. Another quote that followed that, don't worry about your body. It isn't as small as it once was, but honestly, the world needs more of you. You look in the mirror like you've done something wrong, but you look perfect. Anyone who says otherwise is telling a lie to make you feel weak. And you know better. You've survived every single day for as long as you've been alive. You could spit fire if you wanted. Women, why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we see our beauty but only accentuate? I mean, why do we not see our beauty and only accentuate our flaws? And why do we do this to other women? I've told you before that when I first started in this profession, I dressed like a man. I made sure I always wore a white collared shirt under my robe on top of whatever dress I was wearing because the robe didn't look right without a collar showing. It didn't look right because I'd only ever seen men wearing clerical robes with their shirt 
collar showing through. As it turns out, it looks just fine without a collar showing. It took me about five years to learn that in this job. Back in the day, I had all the shoulder pad blazers, one in every color, to dress the part. Until one day, I heard one of the best sermons I've ever heard. Susan Hull preached a sermon about Jephthah's daughter, and Susan had long, flowing hair and makeup and beautiful jewelry and a flowing, colorful scarf. I don't remember a lot about the sermon because I was so mesmerized by the preacher who felt comfortable to dress just like she wanted to dress. She didn't have to fit any preconceived image of what a preacher looked like. She could have dressed in a suit and tie or in makeup and heels as long as she was being completely herself. What more would God want from her? Senator Majority Leader Mitch McConnell <clears throat> had no idea how what he said to Senator Elizabeth Warren on the Senate floor would take off back in 2017. In a typically heated moment among our leaders, McConnell said Senator Warren was giving a lengthy speech. She had appeared to violate the rule. She was warned. She was given an explanation. Nevertheless, she persisted. And that was it. It took off. You can buy t-shirts, coffee mugs, bracelets, emblazoned with, nevertheless, she persisted. You may not be surprised to know that I love this phrase, and it has absolutely nothing to do with McConnell or Warren. It has to do with Esther and Sarah and Ruth and Naomi and Eve and Lydia and Phoebe and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene and Mary and Martha and Hannah and Elizabeth and Hagar and Shifra and Pua and Miriam and Rahab and Anna and Joanna and Priscilla. Nevertheless, she persisted. These are just a few of the ones with names. 189 women are named in the Bible, and that is not counting all the mothers of and daughters of and women at the wells for whom we don't have a name. From the very beginning of time, women in the Bible and women in history and women in our pews have nevertheless persisted. And their stories need to be told and honored and imitated. Nevertheless, she persisted. Nevertheless, he persisted. Nevertheless, they persisted. Will it be you? May it be so. Amen.